as we begin Holy Week, and that's something that, you know, just we recognize. It, it's the beginning of, of the last week or the time of remembering the last week of Jesus' ministry, the things that He did. And one of the significant things that He did in that last week was He began to fulfill a lot of the prophecies intentionally. I believe this one was done intentionally, even though the people didn't realize it. Jesus was intentional. You know, uh, God's, God had uh, His life uh, orchestrated to a T, and, and Jesus just had to go and be and, and do as the Father led Him and taught Him to do. And in uh, Matthew chapter 20, you know, it's 21, sorry, it's interesting that the triumph of the entry is in all four Gospels. It's not exactly everything, every detail of it is not exactly the same in all four Gospels, but uh, not everything, if you've ever noticed that, not everything's in all four Gospels. Why is that? It's because, or sometimes they're, they're arranged different or uh, spoken of different or, or real complete. And a lot, uh, um, it, there's a lot of details in one Gospel and, and there's not a lot in others. That's because if I'm telling a story I'm going to have my perspective on it. I'm going to have. It's, I'm going to remember the things that were important to me, or, or that, or that really made such a difference for me. And some, sometimes it, that's the the reason for it. And so, uh, different personalities. You got uh, Matthew, who was a tax collector and a uh, a lawyer, and a, and a one one who was uh, who was very educated. And uh, you got Luke, who was a physician, and you know you got. Uh, different different ones, John and and P and uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and and Mark. Yeah, that's the other one. I knew there was another guy in there. Anyway, only four wrote uh, of the gospel of the time of Jesus's life, though. Peter wrote uh, later on. Different one. James wrote, wrote later on. But here in in uh, Matthew chapter twenty one, it says, "Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage or Bethpage." at the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent to two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say to them, Lord, the Lord has need of them, and immediately He will send them. And all of this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter in Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So in the other Gospels, it doesn't mention the, the, the mama. I'm trying to think of, uh, they don't call her, they call her G, that's it. They don't, they don't mention the G, they don't mention mama, huh? Jenny, yeah, Jenny, golly, I knew that, Jenny. Anyway, I drew, drew a blank there. I know I didn't want to insult the, the horse by calling him, you know, it a mare. So, but uh, they don't mention that. And you, and you think about, you know, is it, is it a big deal? Well, this colt, the number one thing was is it hadn't been written. And they probably brought the, the mama uh, along with it because if you've ever messed with any foals, uh, a lot of times if they're not weaned or whatever, it, it's uh, a lot easier to handle them if, they, if you bring that older, more mature animal there. But then I think about it also as Jesus being, I'm pretty sure he could handle whatever uh, level of uh, experience was on that horse or that donkey. I believe he could, he could uh, get it handled. And so here he is sitting on this donkey or, or coming in on this donkey. And, you know, the part of the big... Uh, 
thing with, with another reason that it's hard to believe that they couldn't see who Jesus was or, or they had the, the trouble was that this was prophesied and even that He would come lowly sitting on donkey. It, just the fact that, that that had been prophesied in Zechariah 9, it's just pretty amazing. But the word lowly, it, it means in the, in the Greek, it means uh, humility that is uh, considerate, unassuming, gentle, mild, and meek. The zealots who are looking for a warlike Messiah who would use, they were looking for one who would use force. But Jesus showed a greater power than armed might, the power of humble wisdom and penetrating love. Meekness is not weakness, but it's power under control. You know, that's the, the uh, ability to walk into that situation and not have to have that overwhelming, overcoming power and force, but just the power of God doing the work that it needed to, to, in, to uh, bring together everything that, that was needed. Isn't it interesting how Jesus, you know, at times was very forceful uh, when He drove the, the money changers out of the temple, when He cleansed the temple. I mean, He came in with a, with a rod, and, and I mean, He came in with a switch, and He, he drove them out. He was, he was angry. He was forceful if He needed to be. But you know what? He also uh, didn't always have to do things by force, just the power of God working in Him. Like when they were going to stone Him right after He read out of Isaiah 61, you know, back over in Luke chapter 4, they were going to throw Him off the mountain off the cliff. They were going to kill him, stone him right there, to uh, destroy him right there. And what did he do? He just walked through them. They, you know, the power of God, they, they, they froze, froze them in their place. And he, he was able to escape and walk right through them. So it goes on here in verse uh, 6. It says, So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt, and, and they laid their clothes on them and set him on them. So it says, uh, them... But he rode the, the colt, all right, the other accounts, keep this clear. But it says, and, and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches, palm branches, from the trees and spread them on the road. Now, that was important because that was what was done for royalty, or that would, was what would have been done for a king. That's what uh, one of the things that got the, the religious leaders all stirred up and fired up because he, he, was, he was being treated as royalty. He was being treated as a king. And, of course, this upset them. But the crowds were moved, it says. Let's, let's keep reading. He says in verse 9, "...the multitudes who went before him, those who followed, cried out, saying, "'Hosanna to the Son of David.'" Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So they began to, to shout that hallelujah. They began to rejoice in him saying uh, Hosanna. And they were making those statements. It, the, the word uh, Hosanna means save now. You know, they, that was what they were looking for. And as they began to identify him as that source, then all they they began to rejoice in him and who he was and what he was going to provide. You know, the crowds joined in the celebration of Jesus as Christ. But isn't it interesting how in just a few days they also followed the different crowd that was calling for his crucifixion? See, uh, Palm Sunday, we we recognize who Christ was, the beginning of Holy Week. But it can also be a time for us to challenge and ask ourselves. Am I being superficial in my relationship with Him? Do I only do things 
uh, to, to look good or is it a sincere personal relationship? You know, it's amazing uh, how many are, are able to serve Christ when it's convenient, when it's right. It's like what Dakota said, I, I want to I testify to the Lord. I want to demonstrate my faith. I want to I give testimony when everything's going awesome. But what about whenever it's a difficult time? What about when you're in the midst of the storm? Are you going to cry louder and louder and let your praises roar? You know, that song is, is very fitting. And, and the challenge to us is, is will we maintain our commitment to Jesus Christ even if things don't look real good? You know, I, I've known people that have, have, have accepted Christ in the midst of a, a, a horrible time, a very difficult time, a struggle, and God delivers them out. And then, and then they, they testify for a while, and the next time there's a challenge, they, they aren't able to maintain that. Well, see, when it's superficial, it, there, there's no root, there's no depth in it. See, that's why God calls us to a, a walk with Him that involves an everyday practice, putting, like Paul said, like an like a athlete training. You don't just show up at the race. And Nicole's not in here. She's out hiding, helping hide Easter eggs, I guess. But, you know, she was at a track meet. And she may be a good enough athlete that she can just show up, but uh, most of us, we had to train and work. And, and I'm sure she did. Our coaches made sure she was in shape, prepared well, see, uh, that's part of that walk that we have with the Lord, and that's and, and that's the, the really exciting part of it is we become more and more like Christ. We become uh, stronger in our faith. We develop a consistency and a stability in our life whenever we continue to give God uh, that that deeper level of commitment, that deeper level of involvement in our everyday life. Doesn't mean that we won't have challenges, but it means that we face every one of them with a difference. In the midst of, uh, of whatever it is that we go through, we can have faith to, to uh, move the mountains, to, to hold in the storm, and uh, continue to, to walk on in the midst of that. Why did, you know, using uh, that illustration of the Apostle Paul, you know, after he'd gone through all that, why did, when the snake bit him, he just shook it off? It was a poisonous snake. It was one that they knew. They expected him to die right there by the fire. It wasn't even go. Oh, we're going to rush you to the to the uh, witch doctor or the uh, the wherever whatever they were going to use. You know, it wasn't like oh, let's go get the anti uh, venom. No, it was uh oh, been nice knowing you, buddy. He was going to be gone. But why did he shake that off? Because he had dedicated to and committed that he was trusting God. He wasn't even going to make a big deal out of it. And yet God was using it in, the, in, in, the, in that situation to bring not only glory to God, but salvation to a, an island and to a, a group and a body of people. See, true commitment doesn't come on certain terms, but regardless of the terms and conditions. You know, that, that's, that, that's that next level of commitment to, to Jesus Christ. When you make that kind of commitment, you're not going, well, I'm going to serve. You're not trying this on. You're not trying this out. You're, you're fully committed. Uh, sometimes I, I do things business-wise where I'm fully committed. I do things where, where things are, are you, you do those things where once you jump off, you jump off full, full into it. Well, whenever you get there, sometimes there's a struggle or sometimes there's a, an adjustment. Sometimes there's a challenge. But if you continue to, to continue to hold fast to that, God will carry us through. And so in our relationship, that's, that's important. So let's keep reading. He says in verse uh, 10, it says, And when he had come, come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? 
You know, that's something powerful that uh, the verb moved is often used as of an earthquake showing that dramatic arrival of Jesus caused a great commotion. When it, when it says it moved, that, that in the Greek, they, that meant something shook the place. You know, when Jesus showed up in that form and in that fashion, because of the praise, it wasn't that he, how He came in. He just came in riding on a donkey. He just came in lowly. He just came in simple. It, it wasn't how He entered. It's what happened. And as the result of the praise and as the, the result of the acknowledgement of who He was, Hosanna in the highest, they were declaring Him as royalty, as, the, as, the, as their king. That All of that caused a commotion that shook the whole city. See, that's why... Uh, Paul's uh, issue with the snake or dealing with that snake and over there in Acts. I mean, man, I tell you what, that shook that village. That shook those people. Why? Because they'd never seen anything like that before and they realized that there was something different. See, that's the thing that we ought to continually uh, uh, pursue. That's what I was talking about in the give them what you got is, is continue to desire. God, use me. God, put me in a place, in a position that I can do something to bring you glory and to change lives. See, that's, uh, that's what we can all do. Now, uh, verse, let's keep reading. The multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Then, the, uh, then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who brought, bought and sold in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who uh, sold dove. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and singing Hosanna, or saying Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were angry. And they said to him, Do you not hear what they are saying? Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Then he left and went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. Now, isn't it interesting here, the response of the religious? I, I was in a, I guess we were at the men's meeting last night. I was, I was talking to a, a small group there uh, that, that was at that. I was just part of the conversation. But one of, the, one of the pastors that was there, he shared, he said that one time there was a, a, a woman who, a, girl, a young, young lady that had been in, in his church and God had delivered her, God had done great work in her, but she fell back into drugs. She fell back into uh, a lifestyle that wasn't good. Uh, and they were out to eat uh, at a restaurant and this girl, she'd quit coming to church and he'd lost contact with her. And he saw her come through uh, and he called her over and he said, hey, and he was sitting with a bunch of his church folks. And he said, he called her over and, and asked her to sit with him and, and talk to her and, and ask her how she was doing. And, and even though he could tell she was, she was on something at the time, even though, you know, he, he had compassion on her, he talked to her and, 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 uh, and, and told her he'd continue to pray for her and minister to her right there for just a few moments. And as a result, some of his church people got mad and were embarrassed and got mad and, and they left his church. And I told him, I said, well... Just as well, they left. 
I said, then you're not hindered by people who, who don't have love and compassion that Jesus would have. I thank God that I don't have people like that in our, in our church that wouldn't welcome and, and receive somebody who was in a time of struggle or difficulty that needed healing and restoration. But you know what? He said that later on that girl was on a Greg Rochelle uh, Life Church pastor's uh, podcast and they were, they were highlighting her testimony of how she'd ended up. God turned her whole life around. And she, and she said the reason was because you paused and your family continued to love me. He, he didn't have more contact with her after that. But she knew in her moment of darkness, in her moment of difficulty, she knew all of a sudden, you know what, at least... Not everybody loves me, but these people love me. God loves me. And it was that example. See, here were these religious folks, superficial folks. Their, their, their opinion was, if you're not going to come in like a warring leader and, and eradicate the Roman hold on us, if you're not going to set us free and do the things that we want, we're not interested. We're not interested in the, in the change and the transformed lives. We're not interested in doing it the way God said to do it. Jesus' triumphant entry was something significant, and it moved the whole city, but it was, it was only a temporary thing because just a week later, they're, they're, or less than that, they're call, calling for His crucifixion and, in fact, standing around saying, you got what you deserve. Isn't it amazing that the change in people's lives when they're, or the, how quickly they can turn their back on the God who's trying to help them. You know, uh, there was one of the things I've called this today, uh, Jesus entered. And, and I want to I refer to several things that, that happened as Jesus entered. There were nine places that He gave, gave entrance to that provided for us entrance into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The first place that He entered was Jerusalem to fulfill this prophecy. Now, he'd been there many times, but it was different this day. This day, he showed up in a different form, a different fashion. He was, he was fulfilling a prophecy that had to be fulfilled, and God set that up. The second place he entered was he entered the, the room at the Passover meal. Uh, that's we're, we're not going to turn to these scriptures, but it, uh, it's in Matthew uh, 26, 17. But remember, and we, we celebrate this on Monday, Thursday, that on the Passover meal... He, they took Passover every year, but it's significant that at the Lord's Supper on that Thursday night, the night that he was betrayed, before he went into, into the trial, before he went to the cross, there was that significant time. He entered that Passover room to do what? To continue with what had to happen. He made the choice and, and clarified and even opened the door for Judas and, and basically nudged Judas to go on and do what he needed to do in order to, to uh, provide uh, the, the connection to begin that process. The, th the third thing that place that he entered, he entered the Garden of Gethsemane. In Matthew 30, uh, 26, 36, it talks about that. He entered the Garden of Gethsemane. He went there for a significant purpose. He, he went there to, to pray. He, he went there, to, but he also, he knew he would be, be betrayed. You know, if you remember the Garden of Gethsemane, he went there. It was after the meal. It was, after, it was in the evening. It was after dark, late in, late in the evening. And 
He, he went there to pray. Now, why did he go there to pray? He went there to pray just to prepare for what, what was about to take place. Jesus, even though he was the Son of God, he came as a man. He still dealt with the pain and the emotion. He still dealt with all of those things, and he still was there as a, a sacrificial lamb willing to go. He could have resisted. He could have uh, chose not to. He could have called for the angels to, to take him off the cross or, or even prevent him from actually going. He, he could have stopped it all, but it took that time. And you know, the interesting thing about the Garden of Gethsemane, when he entered there, what did he do? He, he brought the disciples. He said, pray. I think I got this one going. Must be, I tell you what, something about our, we got so much power going out, we're just killing batteries on things. Um, but he, he went there with the purpose and the, and the plan and the desire to, uh, to prepare himself, but he was also preparing his disciples. But what did they do? Slept. What did, well, I'm tired, Jesus. But two times he came back to him. He says, "Don't." He says, "He says, uh, pray." You know, he knew what Peter was going to go through. He knew how Peter was going to be affected, and he was giving Peter an opportunity to be prepared. But Peter decided to let his flesh rule. You know, isn't it, isn't it a great example of the fact that Jesus challenged Peter? Peter failed again and again. But look at the transformation that took place once God's or once Jesus had made that sacrifice, given uh, opportunity for salvation. The transformation of Peter. I always love the the example that he was because he he was he was being prepared, but he refused. He was he was being uh, given opportunity. Even Jesus said, "Your flesh is weak. Your your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak." Be ready, Peter. Peter went to sleep. But you know what? Once the power of God, after he did one thing right, he showed up the day of Pentecost. He did one thing right. He accepted that, that salvation and the infilling of the Holy Spirit that empowered him to be the witness that he needed to be. And we know uh, Peter's great example after that. So he went there. He went there and prayed. And you know what? He, he, he settled with finality. God if there's any other way, but then he quickly remember he said there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, not my will, but thine. Not, not my will. He settled with finality. And you know, that's, that's us in the midst of all of the challenges that we face or, or, or things that are before us. We make that choice, that decision that says, God, I'm going to trust you. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to depend on you. God, I'm going to give you the, the ability to act, to cause me to, to be able to walk through everything that I need, and you're my source. Having that settled beforehand. Jesus never had to deal with that question again because he dealt with it beforehand. You know, that's part of the, the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ and the settling of our, our mindset that we're saying, God, we're trusting you. That's why the, the tithe is important. That's why the Bible study is important. That's why the, the, all these things that we're saying, Lord, I'm trusting you first. 
And I'm going to, I'm going to, Depend on you to supply all of my needs. Jesus never had to deal with that again because it came the temptation to fall or the temptation to, to not follow through was settled. He said, not my will. He settled it, but yours. And so uh, that's what he was trying to get Peter and all these others. And Peter said it. He goes, oh, I'll follow you. I'll, I'll die for you. But he said it in, in, in the flesh. He didn't have the help of the Holy Spirit yet. So because Jesus entered the garden, we received those things. The fourth thing is that, that He entered the, the trial and was declared guilty and sentenced to, to die even though He didn't deserve it. E- even though it was, it was false. He was, he was traded for a murderer. And yet, He took that and He, he went there and he received it, and he entered the courtyard. The fifth thing, he entered the courtyard for the beating that he didn't deserve. He bore his he bore stripes that we could be healed. Isn't it, isn't it amazing that he went knowing all those things? They 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 put that crown of thorns on his head, shoved it down on his head where it dug in, and then they continued to hit that as well as other things, uh, the rest of his body. They spit on him. They pulled out his beard. They made fun of him and mocked him. They did everything physically, emotionally, mentally to tear him down, to destroy him. But he had it settled beforehand. This is what I'm going to do. Your will, God. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to walk with you. So that's the example that we have. He, the sixth thing is he entered the tomb. Sixth thing, no, he entered the streets of Jerusalem first. Sorry. He entered the streets of Jerusalem to carry the cross for His crucifixion. Now we know that He was given aid or assisted in in carrying that cross. Isn't it amazing though that He was willing to do that? To take that humiliation. Beaten, stripped, beaten within, uh, unrecognizable. The other seventh thing is He entered the tomb after He died. We'll talk more about that next week. But after he died, he was taken to that tomb. But he didn't stay in that tomb. He first went to hell. And he defeated death, hell, and the grave for us. He took the power of death, the fear, the worry, the concern, the, the agony. He took the power of hell. Can't hold anyone. He took the, the death, hell, and the grave. He took, he, because he went to that tomb, and because he came out of that tomb, it demonstrates that, that defeat. But let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. And I, I want to hit on a couple of things. Let's see, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. It says, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God? Angels and authorities and powers have been made subject to Him. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from, from sin. Now, Jesus did something when He entered into heaven. You see, he'd, he'd entered the courtyard to take the beating. He'd entered the streets of Jerusalem to carry that cross. He entered the tomb after being crucified 
and, and dying on that cross, but then He entered heaven for us. And you know, that's the amazing thing about the beginning and the celebration and all that takes place on, on Holy Week. We can spend this whole week remembering all that Jesus did for us. And a big part of that was that He entered heaven and, and there presented His blood for the sins of mankind. Look at Hebrews. Back up a book or two books. Hebrews chapter uh, 1. And boy, I got to looking at all the different verses in Hebrews. There's a lot of, of them talking about the new covenant. Because Jesus did what He did. He provided us a new and better covenant. It says in verse uh, 3, well, let's just back up and read verse 1. It said, I'll just read it. and you, I think you got verse 3 up there, but I'll read it. God, who has at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. So he's talking about all of the Old Testament was prophesying. What was it doing? Pointing to Jesus. Pointing to what He did. You know, all the Old Testament talked about covenants. And, and God is a covenant God. He established, that's my promise. Here's how we enter into it. Here's your part. Here's my part. You know, the, the thing to understand and know about a covenant is it's an exchange. It's, it's more than just a handshake. It's more than just a, a, a contract. A covenant was something that was done in blood, done with uh, an absolute commitment. When, when two tribes would, would cut covenant, they would, they would make the agreement and they said, this, to our death, we, we hold this. You know, when, when God established these covenants and God, God established these promises, he, all the way through the Old Testament, they were providing for His people, but all along it was preparing for what Jesus would establish in that new and better covenant. Verse 2, it says, "...has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, who He has appointed heir of all things. Through Him also He made the worlds." I'm talking about Jesus again. Verse, verse 3, it says, "...who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of majesty on high." See, that's what Jesus did. He, he, the ninth thing was He entered the throne room and sat down. When He entered that throne room, when He presented His blood, when He made the full provision for our sin, for the sins of all mankind, He was able to sit down at the, at the hand, right hand of the Father. And then it was complete. Then it was done. And it gave us entrance. Notice he, it says in that middle of that verse 3, it says uh, the express image of His person and upholding all things by the Word of His power. See, the Word of Him, the Word of His provision, the Word of His promise is what, and the Word of that covenant is where the power lies. See, the, the, the thing about Easter season and Easter time, it's not about eggs, it's not about bunnies, it's not about all the families and the, and the pretty dresses. You know, I remember we don't do, do it so much uh, anymore, but I mean, we all had new dress, new clothes. I didn't have a dress, but my two sisters did. All right. 
We had, we, I remember pictures in my, my little brother, we, we'd all, we're dressed up, we're all dapper looking, you know, we got our suspenders or our whatever the style was at the time, you know, we were all dressed up, we got that new clothes, that was, that was part of the big pageantry, that was part of the big deal, I mean, there'll be people probably here on Sunday, next Sunday for Easter, that, that aren't, don't always come to church, and we welcome, we're glad to see them, we're, we love the, the fact that the church is usually very full on, on Easter, but you know what? If we could just tap in and understand the value of the covenant relationship that Jesus Christ provided and all that entails, because He entered all those things or all those places, He declared it finished. And that's our entrance into that new and better covenant. So we remember all that Jesus entered into so that we could enter what? That new covenant with God and be children of God. We can enter into a relationship. We can enter into that covenant between God and, and us. But we can enter in as a child of God. Isn't it, isn't it amazing that we can have those things? We also, the second thing that we get that we can enter is that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Without the blood, we're, still, we're, not, we're not forgiven. We're not re restored. We're not, uh, the, the, we can't have and house the Holy Spirit of God. But with Him, because of His blood, it's not based on our merit, on our goodness, on, on all of our practice. It's simply upon Him. That's, that's good news. On His goodness, we can receive that when we receive that gift of salvation. And it gives us the ability to have personal relationship. I got to hang out uh, Thursday uh, and Friday. Well, Friday I did a wedding over in Stillwater and and there was a, a, a John Smith, the wrestling coach at OSU, was there. Uh, was friends of some of the some of the family. And I knew I knew John. All right, Mike number three. Let's go to this one. Man, alive! I tell you what. Anyway, I knew I, I knew John uh, kind of, but uh, not not real well. But uh, I reacquainted myself with him, and and we got to sitting there talking. And so, you know, I've never been in too much of an awe of you know famous people. Or but if you don't know who John Smith is, you need to look up just wrestling. Uh, and I'm not talking about whatever the fake stuff. I'm talking about real wrestling. I'm talking about cauliflower ear kind of uh, guys. I mean, he is he is one, one of, if not the most decorated Olympic and uh, NCAA wrestler uh, probably in the, in the world, but he's um, OSU's wrestling coach and, and obviously done, been very successful there too. But just a great, very, very personable guy. But you know what? We talked long enough. He remembered me from when we lived over there and we had some connections there. But you know, having that personal relationship with him, he told me when he leave, he goes, man, if you need anything, he said, You're, he, he, I told him Kelsey rode her horses, you know, and rodeoed and stuff. She's, he said, get her, get him on, get her on the uh, OSU equestrian team. You call me, I'll help you. I'll, I'll get you, I'll get you in there. He said, you need any money? You, you need anything for your ministry? And I went, yeah, yeah, but but uh, but he go you know he was like I, I I like what you do. He loved the service, what I said in the service, and, and you know we were making that connection. That's a personal relationship. Well, you know what? I could maybe tap into the benefit of that, but you know what's more important than any one person? Jesus Christ and a relationship with Him. See, because we entered into a relationship, now I'm not discounting a relationship with Him. That may prove to be beneficial at some point. 
for if you know some connection with Oklahoma State. I mean, he's everything Oklahoma State. But you know what? Here's the most important thing: is my connection with God gives me what favor with God and man because I've entered into that covenant with God. I'm a child of God, and He says He gives us that favor with God and man. That's more important than anything else. The other thing that we can do, and I got to wrap this up, but we can enter into the holy of holies by His presence. We can come into His presence because of that covenant. You know, only the priests in the Old Testament could enter that. But we can enter the Holy of Holies. One of the things about that song, that first song, when it was talking about that, that in the presence of my enemies, I'm going to praise. I'm going to, I'm going to shout, or shout a hallelujah. I'm going to get louder and louder. We're, we're, going to, we're going to bring that above all the other noise. We were talking last night in this men's meeting. We were talking about Dakota and, and Willie and I were up at the sail barn and after hours working on lighting and stuff for the for the filming and Dakota showed up there well he had a lot going on in his life at the moment and we didn't stop and pray for him I've been preaching all week give him what you got I got I told him I said hey he had a pinched nerve and and inflamed nerve in his neck and it was messing with his arm and he was really hurting and stuff and and I said well you know Dr. Kenyon he'll fix you up chiropractors are great kind of response is that? I'm, I'm telling you, that we, we tap into the power of God. We come into the presence of God. We receive the, the benefits of all of those things. And you know what? We also then house or, or have that, that available to minister to other people. I called him later. I said, man, I should have prayed for you. I'm, I'm, I'm praying for you, but I should have prayed for you right then. We, we're, we're helping him with some other challenges. But you know what? God is at work in and through our lives because of our relationship with Him. We can, and the final thing I want to talk about, it, and you might let them know we're about done. We're going to quit a little early. But we can come boldly to the throne of grace. You know, Hebrews talks about that. Because Jesus did all that He did, He entered all those places, made provision for us, we enter into the new covenant with God as His children. We enter into that personal relationship with Him. We, enter, we can enter into the Holy of Holies or in, in the place where His presence dwells. And we can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and help in time of need. But I tell you what, because He entered all those places, we can enter into those things. And you know what? Our part is simply to accept that, to accept Jesus as Lord. That's the beginning point, is we say, Lord, I, I ask you into my heart and into my life. I want all these things. I want to receive those things. I want to have that covenant with you. You know, I said I was going to quit there. Philippians 3, 9, you got that? I'm just going to read it off of there. It's out of the Amplified Translation, and we'll close with this. And that I may actually be found and known as in Him not having any self-achieved righteousness that can be called my own based on my obedience to the laws, demands, ritualistic upbringing, and supposed right standing with God thus acquired. So what did he just say there? He said, I don't want it to be on all of my outward actions. I don't want it to be on the rituals. I don't want it to be because I show up at church and I serve here or I do this or I do that. I simply want it to be that I am known, I am in Him. 
Not self-achieved righteousness, but actually found known as in Him. Going on, he says, but possessing the genuine righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the anointed one, the truly and truly right standing with God, which comes from God's saving faith. That's our pursuit. Because he entered all those places, that's what we can enter into. That relationship that actually shows us as in him, that actually gives us that relationship being in Christ, truly right standing, in true right standing with God, which only comes by his saving grace. As we go before the Lord in prayer, I just want to I just want to open this up. As we make this declaration, this commitment to God to go from a superficial relationship to a sincere one, you may all be there. I assume you are, but I've been caught assuming before, and I don't ever like to do that. But let's go before the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you. We thank you and praise you that the beginning of this holy week, the beginning of, of the time where you surrendered your life completely to God's will. Lord Jesus, we just thank you and we praise you for that. And Lord, I pray that if there's anybody within the sound of my voice watching or, or, or here today, that Lord, they, they may be convicted by this, this, this idea of being superficial, being shallow in their relationship with the Lord. I pray, Lord, that they'd see the value of the love of God and all the benefits of this new and better covenant that Jesus opened the door for. And I pray, Father God, today they'd make a decision to step on in to full commitment to you. And Lord God, if there's anybody who's never made Jesus Lord of their life, that they'd pray and they'd say, Lord God, forgive me. Lord, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the price that he paid. And Lord God, if you'll have me, I'll be yours. Forgive me. Come into my heart my life. Be my Lord and Savior. With that simple prayer, we make that commitment, that dedication to Christ then He can begin to walk us into that place of discipleship. Father God, I just pray for anybody and everybody who hears this message that they'll receive that and walk in the full benefits of it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.